Go ahead and have a seat. So the first words uh, here in my notes say, this is an exciting day today because we will be baptizing four people this morning. That's not true. It won't happen this morning uh, because something happened with some snow coming in. Uh, We'll do that later uh, at some point, but thanks for coming this morning, and I hope that um, God has something for us this morning. Um, I'd like to, uh, like to pray again, if we could, before we get started. We're, we're in John chapter 12. You want to turn there uh, while I'm praying. It's okay. God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity for us to gather. Father, I pray that you would uh, center our eyes around and our affections around your your son, Father, as we talk about worship and obedience and Palm Sunday, God, I pray that you would just center our eyes and our focus around your son, Lord, and we would, uh, God, we want to know you and we want to draw near to you, Father. God, you have pressed heavy on my heart this morning and, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would use this time to remind us of your son and remind us of your gospel. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. John chapter 12. Um, let me read uh, the first eight verses and then skip a bit. Uh, so just go with me on, on John 12, starting in, in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor will always be with you but you will not always have me. Skip over to verse 12. The next day, the day after this party happened, the day after this meal happened, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, this morning, I want us to center around this idea, this notion, a concept of obedience and worship. Um, it's, it's my thought that we can't define worship without obedience, and we can't define obedience without worship. Like, we're going to 
fully define obedience, we have to use the word worship, obedience. If we're fully going to define obedience, we have to use the word worship. And we'll talk about that as, as we go along. Because some of you may, may know this, a Good Friday, two years ago, my house was almost completely destroyed by a tornado. I was standing right here with this microphone preaching when it happened um, on Good Friday. And because of that, because we've seen the destruction of, of tornadoes and what can happen, my family, when a siren goes off and there's like warning signs that tornado could be coming and a siren goes off, my family immediately, their immediate response is, is look to mom and dad to know what to do. Go to the basement. And I'm grabbing the computer and going downstairs and we have a TV downstairs now so we can follow the news. And immediately we go downstairs because two things are true. They understand the gravity of what might happen. They've seen our house without a roof. They've seen our house without walls on the inside, just completely destroyed. They've seen that. They understand the gravity of what might happen. They also understand that their mom and dad both love them and have the ability and inclination to protect them. expound upon that a little bit. We have the ability to protect them, and not just the ability, but the desire, the inclination to protect them. It's one thing to have the ability. You have to have the inclination or the ability is useless, right? You follow that? And if you have the inclination, not the ability, the inclination is useless. They have to come together. My children, in time of of chaos, of gravity, of, of an important situation, know that we love them and we have the ability and the inclination to protect them. And so what they do then, because they know that we have the ability and inclination to protect them, their eyes are focused on us. I'm going to go home tonight, put my kids to bed, and they're not going to listen to me. I'm going to tell them to brush their teeth, and they're not going to brush their teeth. I'm going to tell them to get your blanket and go to bed, and they're not going to get their blankets and go to bed. They're not going to do any of that. Because there's no gravity. There's nothing important that's happening. Let a siren go off, and I could say, go to the basement. I could tell them to, to do 25 jumping jacks right now. And they would drop everything they're doing and do that. Because they, they think that I'm going to be the one to protect them. So anything that's coming out of my mouth, they're going to do with immediacy. Because they understand the gravity of the situation. What's happening. And obedience and worship kind of come together in this respect. And we'll talk about that, this notion, this idea, as, as we continue this morning. I want to bring four concepts in front of our mind, four thoughts, as we, we press into this idea of, of obedience and, and worship coming together. And this, this kind of illustration with my kids worshiping us and the obedience that follows from that. So, the first thing we find in verses 2 and 3, Jesus is to be valued above all else. Let me go back and let's read verses 2 and 3. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Um, You guys might remember just a few chapters before this, Lazarus was dead, and Jesus heard about it, and he went to go, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay? So Mary, here's, here's what's in Mary's mind. This guy that's at my house and my brother who's at my house having dinner, 
together these, without Jesus, all the days from this day to back to the day when, when Lazarus was actually raised are a gift from Jesus. Because my brother's supposed to be dead. He's not. And now here they both are together at my table. And what overcomes Mary in that moment is just worship. She understands the gravity of that situation. I have my brother alive, breathing, only because of Jesus. And now here they are together reclining at my table. Because of the gravity of that situation, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to be obedient to what the Spirit is telling me to do. What the Spirit told her to do with the gravity of that situation, making known who Lazarus is and who Jesus is, or there in front of him, I'm going to be obedient to the situation. And, And the obedience to the situation was to not count any costs. I'm just going to value Jesus above everything. So what, is it, what does it mean to value something? Think for a second. There's just a few of us here because of the snow. Let's, let's not be rhetorical when I ask this question. What, do, what, do we, what does it mean to value something? What do you value? Go. Say it again. Say it again. I'm deaf. To hold it close. To value something means to hold it close. All right? Treasure it. Spend time and resources with it. For me, one of the things I value most is time on the sofa with my wife. Put the kids to bed and nothing, the house is quiet. I value it. And what I do to get that is I'll, like, do everything to protect it. I'll say no to some of you guys and say, hey, can, you, can we meet tonight? Nope, sorry. Sofa time with my wife. I've, I will say no to other things because I value that time with my wife. I'll put my kids to bed and they're, they're, it's always just me and her. I value that. What, what else do you guys value? What does it mean to value something? Two questions there. Physical health. All right? You'll sacrifice to get physical health. You'll spend money, time, resources. You'll work out to gain physical health, all right? Anybody else? Family? Yeah, seriously. I was going to get the pleasure of baptizing my son today. I I value that drastically. I couldn't sleep last night. I was so excited. Stupid snow. told you guys like three weeks ago that snow was stupid, didn't I? <laughs> anyway, for Mary, the thing that she valued was Jesus. And she valued Jesus because she recognized him for who he was and because of what he had done for her, kind of twofold. She sees Jesus for who he is. He's the son of God. She also gets relationship with her brother because of Jesus healing him, raising him from the dead. And so for Mary... Nothing else mattered to her. She valued him above all else. And so she spent all of this money and she spent all of this relational cred. Like she looked like a, imagine that. She breaks this really expensive jar of perfume and pours it on some, on his feet. And then she takes her hair and dries his feet. This is humiliating because whoever else was at this, this dinner their opinion of her didn't 
matter. The cost of the bottle of perfume didn't matter. All that mattered was this man who was so beautiful, so perfect, was in front of her, and she had an opportunity to worship. And so worship informed her obedience. The second thing for us to to think about is where is the focus? Let's read verses 3 and 5 and look at Mary's focus and look at Judas's focus. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet. We just talked about where her focus is. Now let's see verse 4 where Judas's focus is. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples he, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Mary's focus is on Jesus. Judas's focus is on cash. Money, because he used to dip into the, into the fund, into the bowl, right? So I want to, here, I, we have one non-rhetorical question. Here is a rhetorical question. Where's your focus? Where is your focus? And I want, I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to honestly ask yourself this question. What area of your life has more focus than Jesus? For me, right now, basketball has more of my focus and more of my attention than Jesus does. Talk more about that in a second, some conviction that I'm under. But this this question is going to take prayer because here's the truth. You have blind spots in your heart, in your life, for where your focus is. You have spots that you can't see, you're not aware of, where your focus is. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to get alone this week, and I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this question. What areas of my life have more focus than Jesus does? And after you've done that, I want you to go to someone that you love and trust and respect. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a roommate. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a, a child. And ask them, And give them permission to speak as hard as they want to speak. What area of my life has more focus than Jesus does? And then listen to what they say. Wrestle with it. But don't do that unless you're going to take it seriously and have do work with prayer before you ask the question. Do work with prayer before you ask ask the question of yourself. Do work with prayer before you ask the question of someone you love and respect and trust. If you don't know my phone number, ask me for it. I'll give it to you in a minute. You can call me and I'll be the one. I love and trust. I love you all. And I hope you can trust and respect and love me. Third thing. Obedience is the sincerest form of worship. This is where we're kind of transitioning. We've talked about how, how obedience is defined and informed by worship. But now it's, it's kind of upside down. You, obedience is the sincerest form of worship. Singing Amazing Grace and Oh How He Loves together were just, like, incredible for me. But in, I was, thank you guys for, for leading in those songs. Great songs. And bringing them to my heart. And the lyrics that were there, and specifically with, with conviction that's happening in my heart, were, were beautiful. Tears were in my eyes, and it was, it was just a great moment. However... 
that moment is completely and utterly useless unless it changes who I am and how I obey. Worship is, this is something that I, I really wrestle with because it's a, unless our devotion changes, unless we really have devotion, what is, what is worship? If, it's, if it doesn't change who you are, then it's probably really just about you and an emotional feeling you might have in a moment. The sincerest form of worship is obedience. Go back to the story with my children. They understand the gravity of the situation. They understand that my role in existence as their dad, my, that purpose there is to protect them and to provide for them. And when they, understand, they hear the sirens, that tells them, Something bad could happen really bad. I've seen the destruction of a tornado. Something bad. I need to obey. I need to listen. Because of their worship, they're rightly seeing their father. Obedience naturally flows. I've used this illustration before. I talked about basketball before. I... In March, I worship basketball. And I, because I worship basketball, I do what it tells me to do. It tells me to turn on the television at 11.15 on Thursday. And I do. It turns me to, tells me to don't turn the television off until midnight on Thursday. And I don't. Worship, because I have seen basketball as something that I value and I will sacrifice to get, I obey it. That's where I'm, why I'm asking you to do business with God and your friends and your, and your trusted loved ones. What has my focus? Because in this scenario, we all want to be merry. We all want to sacrifice and look like idiots so, for Jesus' sake. But ultimately, there's probably something else in our life that we want to sacrifice for, that we want to value more than Jesus. And so it informs what we do and what we don't do. It informs how I yell at my children because Butler lost last night. It informs how I'm tired because I don't go to sleep. It informs what I worship, informs what I obey. The last thing. When obedience and worship happen... Jesus is rightly seen. Go to verse 12. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast and heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm trees, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Hosanna. I've I've said this like every Palm Sunday since North Church has begun, but I've defined what Hosanna means. But ultimately, practically, in this situation, Hosanna means this. I am lost and in need of a Savior, and you are that Savior. Please be who you are. All right? Let me say that again. I'm lost, in need of a Savior. You are that Savior. Please be who you are. And that's why I I told that story about my children. When a siren goes off, they say to me, Hosanna. 
Their eyes and their attention go straight to me. Dad, please tell me what to do. Be who you are. When you say to God, you're saying, I'm helpless. I need your help. Please be who you are. That's Hosanna. It's a proclamation, a shout to him. Um, I want to tell you a, a story about worship and obedience coming together. This is an event that happens with some frequency at my house. And I'm just beginning to, to lay my hands on the, the fullness of the spiritual truth that's present. Hannah Grace will annoy her brother and Cooper, and Cooper's response will be to just wail on her. Usually it's like right around the back, right on the shoulders right there, and just like hit her. The last time this happened, a couple of days ago, she kicked him and pushed him, and he like threw her to the ground, and he's beating on her. And I saw it happening. I saw it about to happen before he even took a swing. I said, Cooper, you're about to hit her. Stop. Stop. And nine swings later, he hasn't stopped yet. I pick him up. Jen hears all the chaos. She runs in. She starts yelling at Cooper, yelling at Hannah Grace. And Cooper storms off to his bedroom, stomping, screaming, yelling, tears, spit, flying everywhere. Gets into his room, slams the door, kicks the wall. This, this happens every time. I walk in the room, open the door. Cooper, let's calm down. Or it's, Cooper, calm down. Or it's somewhere, depending on where I am, it's me screaming and yelling or me being in this frame of mind. And his response to me, always, tears filled with eyes. Dad, leave me alone. Get out of here. And back up away from his bed, pause for a minute, and then go and lay down in his bed with him and hold him. And it breaks my heart because, listen close, it breaks my heart because I see myself in my son. He's selfish and he's angry and he does what his flesh tells him to do. And I hate that I've passed my own self-centeredness onto my son. And it breaks my heart. Destroys me. And I see the anger in him. I see the self-centeredness in him. I see laziness in him. I see all that. And, and I see myself. But then this, three days ago, dawned on me. Because I've been wrestling with that. I see myself. I feel awful that I've, I've imposed sin on my son. He is exactly who I am. And he yells at me to go away. And I don't. And I hold him. And this is the part, please, I see God. He's yelling me to go away. And all I want to do, Cooper, I don't care that you hit your sister. I wish that you hadn't. I need you to know that I love you. I need you to know that I love you. And so the brokenness, I, I, I couldn't sleep last night because I'm, I'm centered in basketball and, oh, it just makes me so angry. 
I couldn't sleep, and I'm, I'm just wrote like seven journal pages asking for forgiveness from the Lord. Seeing my, myself and my son, who I saw in me, the big cycle just over and over again of sin, I see that. And then God just said, you know how you love your son and you just, all you want to do is hold him? Here I am saying to you, all I want to do is hold you, I love you. So as we participate in this Holy Week, this Palm Sunday, Good Friday, all the stuff, all the resources that are available to you to engage Scripture, engage Jesus. Watch Jesus knowingly walk into Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to experience grotesque awfulness, but still the thing that drives him is obedience and worship and how they come together. God, I obey you. God, I want to please you. God, you are God. I submit to you. That's Jesus's, what's, what's the reason why he's putting one foot in front of the other? Obedience. And know that in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your brokenness, when you come to grips with your blind spots of where you see your focus of something else rather than Jesus, know that there's a dad crying, weeping at your bedroom door. All he wants to do is prove to you, demonstrate, show you how much he loves you. Let's pray. God, we love you. Father, I, I, I don't know what you have planned for us, but I trust you and I submit to you, God. Lord, I pray that the lack of a baptism right now or the snow outside or worry about getting home or whatever, Father, would, would dissipate from us, Father, and we would center in around you, God, and that these moments would not just be typical, God, but we would earnestly pray God, bring repentance to us, enlighten, illuminate our minds to our blind spots where we worship something other than you. And God, would you bring obedience to us, Father? I don't have it within me to be obedient. I have it within me to, to be obedient to basketball, God. Lord, I pray. God, how I pray. We would value you as Mary valued you above all else. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.